This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNXRadio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. Healthcare workers, they are first in line for the vaccines, but some are reluctant to get the shot. They're even opting out, despite having seen the very worst impacts of the virus. So what's driving workers like them to still take a pass? Los Angeles has become ground zero in the latest COVID surge. Situation is dire, devastating. Some hospitals running out of life-saving supplies like oxygen and medical facilities are telling ambulances don't bother bringing in patients who are not going to survive. Back to vaccines. The pace has been slow. Probably doesn't have to be that way. There was one hospital, Northern California, forced to use hundreds of vaccines in hours. We'll hear from the hospital on how they got that job done. But let's start with the vaccination reluctance. Healthcare workers all over the country have priority to get the COVID vaccine. Many have taken advantage of that, but many have not. They are opting against getting it. Now, it seems surprising, considering they are on the front lines and are witness to the very worst outcomes of this virus. Why are some of them holding out? With us is Dr. Peter Katona, clinical professor of medicine, infectious diseases at UCLA's Geffen School of Medicine, used to work at the CDC. So, doctor, some people would argue that if a healthcare worker is refusing to get a shot in the middle of the pandemic, then they should be shown the door. Yeah, I mean, there are inherent biases that are prevalent all over the place, conspiracy theories all over the place. Uh, And there are legitimate concerns that people have. Um, But um, we have a problem here in terms of uh, vaccination in a dire situation. Yeah. What do you make of it even being the case that there is hesitancy in these circles? Because, you know, we've talked to plenty of doctors who said at the beginning of this, I was even a little bit wary, but then I looked at the data and then I made the decision and now I've got the vaccine. You think if you work alongside people like that, at least I would like to think so, that if he or she told me that it's fine, I got it, then I'd go, okay, there's my role model or or what have you. I'm going to take it too. It's, It's hard to understand. I mean, there are basically objections to the review process, how much evidence based information is there. The government's not transparent enough. All these are, are claims that have no justification. Um, you know, there are also those that want to wait and see for a couple of months. Maybe there's toxicities that we haven't established. You know, it's, it's like beating your head against the wall to convince people that all of the processes that have been done here have been accurate. They're the same as for any other vaccine that's gone through the FDA. And we just live in this world of, thinking that isn't quite right. Oh, if if I were a healthcare worker, say, and I came to you, let's say you were my supervisor, and I said, I don't know, I, I've got some questions about this vaccine. I, you know, maybe my hair will turn blue in a year. Maybe uh, I won't be able be a to. a good look for you. Man, we should, <laughs> you think so? You might as well. Let me make a note of that. <laughs> no, but, but seriously, I mean, if, if I came to you and said that as a healthcare worker, what would you say to me? Look, I would say, look at the science. The science is very, very clear here. And, and we are in the midst of one of the worst situations public health wise in the history of this country. So even if there weren't a, a, a good set of information, we need to accept the fact that we are in a place where we don't have a lot of options. 
and vaccine is by far the best option we have for the short and medium run to kind of contain this outbreak. And to put that away, to throw that away for minuscule concerns is absolutely absurd. In general, the hospitals, the health systems, if they have someone pass the vaccine over, they don't want it. It does go into an arm, right? It gets to a paramedic or an EMT, or it maybe goes to one of the nursing homes that are now in their phase, hopefully. Yes, but at the same time, there there's a huge number of steps between the manufacturing plant, getting it on the trucks, all the way out to getting it into people's arms. And when you have people that refuse it, it puts a wrench into that whole machinery. So all of a sudden, some place may have more vaccine doses than they can get rid of because of this unexpected uh, number of people that didn't want it. So it's it's easy to say, yes, we can just substitute that for somebody else. But it throws a logistic hurdle into a system that is incredibly difficult and complex to begin with. Yeah, this is a bit off topic, but I've mentioned this before on the show. I'm, I'm still struck by the fact that in 1947, there was a smallpox outbreak in the city of New York, and they managed in about a month's time flat to vaccinate what was then almost the entire population of the city of New York in 1947, about 5 million plus people. Why can't we do that with the same urgency, the same speed, and the same smartness that they did in 1947? That's a great question. And and it's not only that, but it was also the legal issue of mandating vaccination came up. And the Supreme Court had given a decision saying, if the public health authorities mandate it, it stands. So it's not just a question of having done it. They were actually able to mandate it whether people wanted to get it or not. We have this increase in this libertarian thinking of nobody's gonna tell me what to do, which is more prevalent today than it was 60, 70 years ago, which is part of the problem here. Dr. Peter Katona, clinical professor, medicine, infectious diseases, UCLA's Geffen School of Medicine. The coronavirus surge hitting critical mass at hospitals in Southern California, especially around Los Angeles County. They're so packed that healthcare providers are running low on equipment. And now ambulance operators are being told not to bring patients to the hospital if they have virtually no chance at survival. With us is Dr. Nicole Bosson, Assistant Medical Director, LA County EMS, and Keith Hobbs, CEO of USC Verdugo Hills Hospital. Dr. Bosson, we keep hearing day after day that the numbers are getting more dire, that hospitals are more and more in crisis. Uh, So the question that I keep asking and have not really gotten a good answer from anybody yet, maybe you can, is what can we all do differently? What can you folks do all differently to bring this crisis at least somewhat more tamed? Well, you know, at EMS, we're working closely with the hospitals to identify those who are most uh, overwhelmed and trying to offload patients from those hospitals and work with them to improve uh, the situation. Of course, what can people do? Uh, We need to slow the spread of the virus and reduce the number of patients who require the services. But of course, we expect that the number of patients will continue to rise post-holidays. So uh, what we're doing actively is to work with the hospitals to mitigate the crisis. And so uh, it's focused at EMS on getting patients uh, offloaded and into the hospital as quickly as possible, particularly the most critical 
patients, we are working with the hospitals to develop ambulance receiving centers where they can offload patients more rapidly and these patients can be monitored and observed by uh, EMS personnel uh, to release the ambulances back into circulation. Uh, we are working with hospitals to transfer patients out of the more uh, overwhelmed hospitals into hospitals that have capacity. And we're working with the state to get additional resources to the hospitals, including personnel uh, from uh, the state, as well as from national teams like the DMAT who have come to Antelope Valley, for example. There's also another change you made, though, and this one, I think, will strike people because they can picture something bad happening and then needing help. There is a, a memorandum or, or a directive on, on resuscitation, right? If I am at home and I need you guys and you're having trouble bringing me back, that's, that's it for me. I don't get to take the ride to the hospital where they can try there. So I think it's important for the listeners to know that we continue to respond and resuscitate to cardiac arrest. I, I, the important thing is that we're trying to maintain EMS resources to respond to patients with critical emergencies. If a patient's in cardiac arrest, that is they are found with no pulse, paramedics will continue to resuscitate those patients per usual protocols. And it's actually uh, normal and best practice to resuscitate those patients immediately where they are found. Now, if a patient does not uh, is not able to be resuscitated and does not regain a pulse, then yes, those patients have very uh, limited chance of survival. And under those circumstances, we are having our paramedics consult with the online medical physician and not advising transport of those patients. Okay, Keith uh, Hobbs, who is the CEO of uh, USC for Drugo Hills Hospital. Keith, uh, tell us some ray of hope, and uh, not that the vaccines are out there and ready to go at some point. Is there something that you can tell us that would indicate that things might get somewhat better for hospitals down the road and soon? Yeah, we're, we uh, appreciate uh, appreciate being on. on. I, I would share, you know, first of all, our staff are tired. Uh, there is some fatigue and there are some, there is definitely concern with uh, the community that may not have uh, stepped up over the Thanksgiving holiday to uh, say physically distance uh, and so forth. But the ray of hope, I think, is re regardless of that tiredness and fatigue, the staff have been rising to the occasion along with our, our physicians. They've signed up for extra shifts. Our staff that are not uh, uh, on patient-facing areas and nursing units have volunteered to help as runners and other activities. So we really see our hospital and other hospital staff uh, uh, rising to the occasion to help out. You know, certainly the vaccine and the rollout of that is, is helping, but I would share we just need to get at a faster pace uh, with that. Um, I'm uh, appreciative of, of the rollout to date but we really do have to get at a faster pace of rolling out the vaccine to start making a difference. Dr. Bossen, uh, Mr. Hobbs, thanks to you both. A hospital in Northern California storing 850 of its Moderna COVID-19 vaccines when the freezer fails, the doses quickly thawing. Adventist Health Ukiah Valley Medical Center in Mendocino County had to act quickly or it would lose those doses. Staff got to work, found everyone, and everyone who was willing to get a shot, regardless of state rules. No dose went to waste. So could other hospitals do the same thing? With us is Dr. Basanch Parker, Chief Medical Officer at the hospital, Judson Howe, President of the hospital. Doctor, let's start with you. Uh, what was it? Moment of panic when, when you were told the freezers aren't working? What'd you do? So um, 
It was um, a situation of concern, but I wouldn't call it panic um, in the sense that, um, you know, we um, get into emergency situations um, in hospital all the time. So uh, it was, you know, once again, get into emergency um, response mode and um, uh, do the right things uh, and, and set the ball rolling. So that's what we did. Okay, so uh, Justin Howell, uh, describe what ended up happening. So you had people who, I guess, were, were not technically in the right tier, was it? And they got the vaccine because you needed to give out the vaccine? Yeah, hey, look, what happened is we had vaccines that were um, above recommended temperature for, for the refrigerator. And so we had a couple of hours to get these vaccines either into arms or they would go wasted. And so we really worked hard with community resources and partners uh, to make sure that nothing went to waste. And we were able to administer over 830 vaccines in less than two hours. Nicely done. Where'd they go? Uh, they were they were shared with, uh, like I said, a collaboration with, with public health. Some went to the county. Uh, four went to uh, stand-up vaccination clinics that we have. And then we prioritized uh, seniors in, in, uh, and, and skilled nursing facilities. You know what I find interesting about this? Uh, and, and this is directed both uh, to you, uh, Mr. Howell, and also to uh, Dr. Parker. Um, you know, we keep hearing from around the country that there isn't this great sense of urgency to get the vaccine out. Uh, New York is frustrated. California is frustrated. Other parts of the country frustrated. And yet... What I find fascinating is when you had that sort of meltdown because of the freezer situation, you managed to really pump out those vaccines in in kind of record time. I guess what I'm asking is why can't we have that sense of urgency all the time? Yeah, I can't speak for the national or statewide, but what I can say is that in these communities, such as Mendocino County, it's really it's the great communication between the private and public uh, partners in the community that really made this work. And Mendocino County has been through a lot of crises over the last few years, whether it be fires or planned power outages. And we've really learned how to deploy our incident command structures and make sure that uh, resources get allocated and, and the results get delivered. Doctor, you, th you think it is a, a kind of model of at least what can be done if you need to do it and, you know, you can speed up the process at least a little bit here? I think um, to what um, Justin Howe just um, uh, um, said, the partnership does um, uh, help to uh, get things um, going. And um, it is um, uh, really incredible, uh, the, the partnership between the uh, public agencies, um, the federally qualified healthcare center and um, multiple other partners in the community that helped um, to make this happen. So um, I think um, what's um, key and most important uh, for everyone to know is that um, vaccines got into the arms of 830 people. Uh, and um, I think that's something to be celebrated. I, I agree. And so here's my question to both of you. Is there, is there a way to package what you did so you can teach people around this country how to do the same thing? Yeah, you know, in, in Adventist Health, we have a long culture of delivering health, wholeness, and hope. And it, we know that we can't do that by ourselves. And I would repeat, it really comes down to collaboration between the public and private sectors to make this work. All right, Judson Howe there and uh, Dr. Basant Parker at Adventist uh, Ukiah Valley Medical Center up in Mendocino County. One of the most celebrated music awards falls a victim to the latest COVID surge. The 2021 Grammys have been postponed. It was originally scheduled for January 31st. Now it looks like it won't happen possibly until March. 
Organizers made the move because of the surge in coronavirus cases in Los Angeles, along with travel concerns for those who were going to take part in the event. The Grammys had already planned on a limited show with no audience and allowing only presenters and performers on site during the show. Nominees wouldn't have been on site either, and winners would have accepted their Grammys remotely. You know, the postponement isn't isn't that bad because those shows usually run into the next month anyways. <laughs> they so, Sometimes they seem like they go on for an entire year. You can find us on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. And the award goes to us. Thank you.